Today we're going to be talking about prayer. And if I had to make a personal confession to you, I would say this is one of the weakest points of my spiritual growth and spiritual life is prayer. But I'm not going to let that stop me from hopefully preaching to myself and all of you about how much more that needs to happen. If you're like me, you've run the risk too many times of getting too busy to pray. One of the things that I hate and that I've tried to overcome in my life is when somebody is, you ask how they're doing and they're actually opening up to you and and telling you how they are. And you say, oh, I'll pray for you. And then you forget, right? Instead of grabbing that person's hand at that moment and praying with them in that moment. Because a lot, a lot of what I've found in prayer is, is being aware of what I can't do in prayer. <laughs> and that is usually keep my word about praying for somebody. No, let's pray at that moment. Let's do that. I struggle to go through the directory and pray for all of you. I do. And not like when I get to Tom's face in that directory either. Not like that. But picking up where I left off and going through and now we have a new directory. Making sure I'm hitting everybody. Making sure that I'm praying when I want to send you guys cards for birthdays, anniversaries, times that are going hard for you, those types of things. Prayer's a struggle. And I I think that there's something interesting about it that um, we need to come to grips with is the fact that it's a discipline. It is something that that is going to cost you. Years ago, probably five years ago now, I wrote a book called The Four Essentials of a Healthy Church. And it is based on Acts 2.42 when Luke wanted to describe what the first church looked like. I mean, they, they had 3,000 people join in one day. Um, and oddly enough, we're not hearing of many organizational problems for another three chapters. I don't know what's going on there, but obviously the Holy Spirit's doing some cool stuff. But when I wrote that book, I did a lot of research on prayer, and I actually have more chapters devoted to prayer in that book than I do any other of the practices, because they are the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer is what they were devoted to. That's what characterized a church. I believe that those four things serve as the spokes that hold the wheel of the local church in stability. And when one of those is missing you find that the wheel is unstable. If two are missing, you're liable to collapse. Now, if that's true for the local church, that's true for our personal lives as well, because until it is a personal conviction, it will not become a church-wide conviction. Does that make sense? I found a really good quote by a guy when I was researching prayer. Man, there's some guys that understand prayer leaps and bounds beyond what I can understand. It's this. You've got this in in your handout if you want to look at it right in the middle of the page. The great people of the earth today are the people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, not those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer. But I mean these people who take time and pray. They have not time. It must be taken from something else. This something else is important. Very important. And pressing. But still less important and less pressing than prayer. There are people that put prayer first and group the other items in life's schedule around and after prayer. It's interesting to see whenever Billy Graham finally retired from his ministry as an evangelist. In our day and age, the world's most well-known evangelist. And they said, now that your time of public ministry is over, what would you have done differently and it's very interesting he said I would have stayed home and prayed more now understand this years ago we went down to the Billy Graham training center it's called the Cove they actually have a museum there that is directed towards all of his ministries and you would walk down entire hallways where they had done panorama shots of him in Czechoslovakia preaching to 264,000 people. 
That's a heck of a statement. I would have stayed home more and I would have prayed more. In fact, one interesting thing that you'll notice when you go through the Gospels is you will find that a lot of times Jesus withdrew from the masses and found a solitary place in order to pray. He said he spent a lot of time in the wilderness praying. Any of us thought about wilderness praying lately? You see what I'm saying? That's a, that, there's something going on in that mindset there that says, man, that, that needs to be different in my life. If that's how Jesus had to handle the situation. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus wasn't on Facebook. You giggle, but think about it. Jesus wasn't on Twitter. He didn't have a lot of things that were vying for his attention. What he had for his attention was enough, and it was enough to the point where he realized the most important thing I need to be doing right now is being alone with the Father. That's a heck of a statement. In fact, I want to, I want to show you something real quick, and then we'll jump in. If you've noticed, there's a lot of lines. Deb came up to me and goes, did you run out of things to say? I said, oh, no, 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 and I pulled this out and just started clicking it, right? That's what we're doing. But do this with me, if you wouldn't mind. Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. I want to show you just one little verse in here, and then we will move forward in the study that I have planned out. I found this verse very interesting. Hebrews chapter 5. This is talking about the the high priestly nature of Jesus and his comparison with the the priest Melchizedek from the Old Testament in Genesis. And it brings up something very interesting. The author of Hebrews says, verse 7, in the days of his flesh, so in other words, while he was here incarnate on earth, he offered up both prayer and supplications, pleadings, petitions, a, a very a very emotional means with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death now notice this and he was heard because of everybody get that because of his piety anybody got a different translation instead of using the word piety his reverence What is it? His reverent submission. Godly fear. There is something to be said, get this, there is something to be said about the attitude of which we bring to prayer. I think that's very important. That's the reason why Jesus was heard. Notice it doesn't say, and Jesus was heard because He was the Son of God. Notice it doesn't say that. It said he was heard because his life was set up in such a way as to where it revered God at all costs. Now we can sit here and rationalize this in all the ways that we like to in our day and age. Well, the reason is is because he's ultimately the author of Scripture and he knows God's Word inside and out. Of course the Word of God dwelled richly in him and he hid God's Word in his heart so he wouldn't sin against God. Of course we know that. Calm down, right? Let's take a moment and let's think about it. How often do we see in God's, or sorry, in Jesus' life, I didn't come to do my will. I came to do what? The will of the Father. Notice it was the entire spectrum of how he looked at life. Jesus lived his life to model something for us, folks. And by him living in such a way as to where whatever God wants was what was always in front of him. It's what dictated choices and decisions. It was based on who he talked to and who he stayed away from and how much time he spent with people. It controlled everything about his outlook. Something to be said about that if we want to be heard in prayer. Now, there's a lot of things we could say on prayer, and honestly, we could probably do at least two months of sermons just about prayer. But here's one, something I want to do. Look at the very top of your handout that you have. I've given you some other information in this handout, but I really want to focus a lot more on the interactive part. I'm going to give you about two minutes. If you wouldn't mind, at the very top, list the things that you pray for most 
often. If your answers are general, like the names of people, be specific about the contents of your prayer for those people. When I pray for my wife, what do I pray for my wife about? That type of thing. So I, I pray for Beth, but here is what I pray for. If you wouldn't mind, list those things down. What is it that you pray most about now? Does everybody have their pen? You know that's the cardinal sin in this church, right? Okay, just making sure. Just take a few moments, write it down. I'll actually stop talking so you can do that. If you notice underneath the quote from S.D. Gordon there, I'll give you just a little bit of information about the word prayer. It's derived from two words. It's a compound word. Pros, meaning unto or forward to or toward. And ukomai, which is to wish by implication, to pray to God, to pray, to will, to wish. And when you put them together, it means to wish forward. It means to will towards or to wish unto. And I think this is important. This emphasizes an active participation in using your will in an emphatic direction. You have a direction of which you have set that will upon. Now I will say this, a lot of people make a lot of how am I praying? Am I praying correctly? Do I fold my hands? Do I bow my head? Do I close my eyes? How many people were taught to fold your hands, bow your head, close your eyes when you're a kid? Yeah, you know why? Because they didn't want you doing crazy stuff. They figured the best place for your hands to be was like this, right? And then they wanted to wrap duct tape around them probably. But yeah, let's keep kids in line. But let's be honest, praying is just simply talking to God, isn't it? Just simply talking to him. I'm reading an interesting little book now by a guy that's a pretty revolutionary thinker in Christianity. His name is Jeremy Myers. Uh, and he, his book is just called What is Prayer? And he writes out this sample prayer. How many times have you heard this? Oh, Father God, we just love you, Father God, and we praise you, Father God. We're so thankful for thy son, Father God. Right? Sometimes you get into King James when you pray. Some of us do that. Anybody a King James prayer in here? Wow, awesome. I'm going to make fun of you all day long. That's great. No, it's good. It's good. That's fine. But here's the question I'm asking, and I need to ask myself. Are we praying? That's really the point, isn't it? It's not really that there's a right or a wrong way to do it. The question is, are we doing it? Are we praying? Now, here's what I want to do. If you notice, you've got a scripture reference, and then you've got a whole lot of blanks. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Take a moment and turn there. Because here's the question I want to ask. What does it mean to pray biblically and are we doing it? It's one thing to pray. It's one thing to pray because you've heard someone else in your life growing up pray. It is a completely different thing to look at the Bible and how people pray and then asking the question, do I pray like that? That's different. Colossians chapter 1. The reason why I bring this up first, I'll be honest with you, this is a mainstay prayer that I have. I pray this probably more than I pray anything else in the Scriptures at all. <clears throat> let's read through it first and then let's break it down. Verse 9, or, or sorry, real quick. Look at verse 3 real quick. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your, now watch this, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Notice this is a pretty good church going on. They all believe in Jesus and they're all loving one another. You can't ask for anything better than that. These people were loving people to life in Christ before we ever were, right? So look at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father 
who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's how Paul prays. Now here's a question. Let's start in verse 9. What are the things that you notice? This is an extremely interactive sermon today. It's about 10% explanation and 90% application. Very lopsided from what we're used to. So here's a question. What do you notice? Verse 9. Okay, so notice, not ceasing. It's a continual petition. It's constantly going on. In fact, aren't we told to pray always? Pray always in the Spirit. Pray without ceasing. We're told those things. Continue on and on. You know, if you're like me when I was younger, I was like, but if I have my eyes all closed all the time, I won't ever do anything else. Is that what that means? No, it means an attitude of prayer. Notice a lot of it's got to do with the attitude. It's an attitude of talking to God all the time. My mom talks to God all the time. She'll be doing something and it's like he's sitting there at the kitchen table. She talks to him relentlessly until a Kentucky basketball game comes on. And then she stops talking to him and other words come out of her mouth. And then she spends a lot of time talking to him after it's over, right? Talking to him all the time. It's just a relationship that she's encouraging and fostering. It is a conversation that she doesn't let die. So notice, we pray without ceasing. What else do we see? So notice that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's a heck of a request. Or let me ask you it this way. When is the last time, either for yourself or for someone else, you were interceding for someone else, you prayed that that person may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Because that's what was the very first thing that Paul wanted to bring up that he prayed for the church at Colossae. That they would be filled. Filled. We all know what that means, right? We fill up our cup to get enough to drink. The waitress comes around and says, hey, can I fill up your water? You say, yes! If she just put a dribble in there, you'd look at her and go, there went your tip. Right? All the way up. That we may be filled with what? What should we be filled with? The knowledge of His will. Doesn't that sound like Jesus? I didn't come to do my will. I came to do the will of the Father. I mean, filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? Because something like God's will cannot be naturally understood. Therefore, you have to be blessed with insight by the indwelling Holy Spirit that you have and the Word of God that you hold in order to understand these things. Now, why is that? Here's the reason why. is because the new life in Christ gains us access to elevated living. It's a completely different sphere of operation. This world system has a mold that it is trying to squeeze everyone in that has been intricately and patiently designed by Satan. Make no mistake, he is not a dummy. He has got people hook, line, and sinker marching joyously on a path to hell. So in order for us to have this wisdom, this knowledge, this understanding, God, I just need to know your will. And you know what? I need the understanding to discern what it is. It is spiritually appraised. We're told at the end of 1 Corinthians 2, not everybody can handle spiritual stuff. Not everybody can understand those types of things. So what do we got to do? God, help! That's essentially what this is. It's a cry to understand how to live in this new life. That's what Paul wants for these people. I guarantee you this. If he was writing to Grace Bible Church, that's what Paul wants for us. But notice the reason that he gives way to. This is interesting. The next one, verse 10. So that, here's the reason, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Does everybody see what Paul just did? You 
He's praying for us, or he's praying for Colossae, to be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that the result springing out of it is going to be that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Do you realize that you're going to have a whole lot of difficulty walking in a manner that is worthy of the Lord if you do not know his will and you do not have the spiritual wisdom or understanding to appraise it? This is why I can't get on this whole boat of everybody saying, well, if you're a real Christian, you're going to act like it. We need to know his will. If we don't know his will, we have no heart conviction. If we have no heart conviction, we're not going to live any different than we've always lived. It just doesn't happen. So notice what he says, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Notice, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Does everybody see the bookends? Right? A knowledge of His will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then what happens after that? Well, after that, what springs out of that is that your life changes. Next thing you know, when you start to understand His will and you get wisdom and understanding, you walk in a manner worthy. You end up being fully pleasing to Him. You start to bear fruit. Which everybody's into fruit bearing, right? How much fruit are you bearing? Fruit inspectors scare me. Because that's how they judge whether or not you're saved. According to the Apostle Paul, what does he say? You need to pray for the knowledge and the insight of God's will before you'll ever bear fruit. This is a result that comes out of a prayer like this. And what does he put on the tail end of it? Look what he says there. He says, not only pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, but also increasing in the knowledge of God. So here's what it is. Father, God, please help me to know your will and give me spiritual wisdom and understanding. And by doing so, that conviction becomes an application of which I am living life differently, thinking differently, pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit. And because that has taken effect in my life, I am now knowing him even more. How many, let me ask you this. This usually happens at like camp retreats and youth groups and things like that. I just want to go deep with Jesus. Have you ever heard that? How, how many of you ever been guilty of saying, I just want to go deep? I want the deep stuff. Nobody here is that. You guys are liars. Liars. You've never said that you want to go deep with Jesus. I am the only, am I really the only fool in the room who has said, okay, thank you, Eli. Praise the Lord. Are Eli and I really the only fools in this room that have said such things like that? No one's ever really wanted to go deep with the Lord. Has anybody ever equated depth with the Lord as trying to understand the hard things of Scripture? Is that Have we made that mistake? Okay, more of us have made that mistake. Notice, what it is to have a deep knowledge of God is to be given spiritual wisdom and understanding of His will, applying it to your life, and living in a way that pleases him, and next thing you know, you've been put into that depth of a knowledge of him. That's how you know him deeper, is by knowing the word and doing the word. But notice that prayer is what Paul saw is necessary in order for this to become a reality in their life. He could have easily written them and said, y'all need to do this and stop doing that. He could have did that, couldn't he? Because he talks like that. Right? No? Man, is it going to be one of these days? Everybody need coffee? Okay. Have Art wheel it in here. But seriously, the way that you know God deeper is just like this. And it starts with, what am I praying? How many of you wrote down Aunt Edna's bum hip on what you pray normally? Or my pinky toe? Or the fact that you're missing a toe? I mean, I don't know. That's only for you, right? It applies for you. Good job. Notice that Paul's not praying for the physical here. Does everybody see that? Notice that a physical thing does not come in his mind at all. He's not worried about whether you walk or whether you don't walk, whether you run or whether you don't run, whether you see or whether you don't see. That's a non-issue to Paul. His concern is, do you know the Lord? And he's writing to a church, which means already saved people. 
Do you know the Lord? Are you growing in your knowledge of the Lord? Let's move on. And again, the lines are for you guys to write these things down. What are the basic tenets of Paul's prayer? Notice it says verse 11 here. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Now stop for a second. How mighty is God? Almighty, right? That's the best. Yeah, that's the best. No way, Yahweh. Anybody ever seen that one? Wow, that's interesting. But Almighty, He is Almighty. He is Almighty God. That's who He is. He has all might. Now, now pause for a second, and let's read 11 again. Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. God's Almighty? Yes? What does that say about strengthened with all power? That means He wants you to have it to the full. That means He wants you to not be lacking in anything. That means that He wants you to have all power in your life. Now, does that mean that we all become the Hulk and start picking up cars and tossing them? No, that's not what it's talking about. But we see in the context of living this life, would you say that you need strength to live? Notice where it comes from. Reflecting on, well, how mighty is God? Well, awesome. There's the connection. How about the next part here? Notice it says, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And then it uses this blasphemous word after patience, joyously. Patience and joyously, that's a contradiction. That can't be right. What's another translation say? Right? Steadfastness and patience. Sticking with it because if you try to get in your own strength about a situation you are not persevering you are not steadfast you will not have patience and you certainly will not have patience joyously joyous patience paul has lost his ever loving mind how many people here are joyously patient man i waited this forever praise god that's straight jacket material Aggressively patient? That might be in the semantic range of the Greek word. I'm not for sure. No. Patience joyously. Now, we laugh at that because we sit here and go, man, that's just not a reality. I don't know of anything I've ever waited for. I don't know of anything I've ever asked for for the Lord. I don't know of anything I've ever anticipated. Or, God, you say this promise is true, and I'm just waiting for it to be a reality in my life that I was joyously anticipating for it to come. Stop. Do you realize it can happen? Do you realize it can be a truth? Either that or God's Word lied to us. So notice all of 11, strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is an incredible prayer. Church in Colossae, here's what Paul prays for you. He wants you to know His will. And he wants you to have the spiritual wisdom and the understanding so that your life is in a walking in such a way that is worthy. It's worth it. It's worthy of God. Do we live lives that are worthy of God? You see what I'm saying? This is supernatural stuff. Just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's fantasy. It doesn't mean it's fake. But if it seems strange to us, it means that we have not accessed it. And yet here it sits on the pages, waiting to be a reality in our life. So that I can walk in a manner worthy of Him, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit for Him, and then increasing even more in my knowledge of Him, and receiving a strength that is only measured by that of the Almighty. And not only that, but I will attain steadfastness and patience and it will be a joyous occasion and I will be giving thanks to God because He alone has qualified me to share in a glorious inheritance with the rest of the saints, all of which, verses 9-12, through 12, I could not have apart from Christ. 
Did anybody write any of that down in their top part of what they normally pray for? Now, here's the thing. Am I bashing what you pray for? Not at all. I'm just really jazzed that you're praying. But like anything else in life, we could ask ourselves, how could I be more conformed to the image of Christ in my life? Why? Because that's the whole reason why I was saved and designed was to be his representative here and now on earth, shining forth his glory, not my own prestige. So if that's the case, my question again, what does it mean to pray biblically and are we doing it? You say, man, I don't pray like that. Guess what? This just became a highlighter, bookmark, get you out one of those red pointy things, put it right there, take your little string thing here, there it is. Now, before we move on to the next one, I would encourage you, and I never used to do this, get a book. You can go over here to Walmart, you can buy it for $6.50, some of them have magnets on them, some of them have straps on them, some of them have kitty cats on them, whatever. But when you get it, Make yourself a prayer journal. Make yourself a prayer book. Whoa. These are my memory verses. My three by five card memory verses. But the very first thing I have for my prayers here, Colossians 1.9, Colossians 1.10, Colossians 1.11, Colossians 1.12. These are prayers that I try to pray for myself and for our church. Every chance I open this book. Move on. List people that you love. Pray for my wife. Pray for my son. I tell you what, a big chunk of this is praying for myself because often I'm the problem. So that's a big part of it. And then listing other people that you pray for. And here's the amazing thing about this. Cindy, just so you know, tell people I'm not lying. Right here, I have a lot of things marked out, correct? And I have dates next to them, correct? Here's the reason why. is because God answers prayer. Because the God I pray to is not just absent in the sky. He kind of wound up the world and just let it hop away into infinity. That's not at all. Because when I bring things before God, I wait for his hand to move. And when it does, I cross it out because I don't need to pray for it anymore because he fulfilled it and I write down the date that it happened. It is a testimony of his faithfulness over and over and over again. And here's the interesting thing. Him answering prayer is no different from, am I not the God who brought you out of Egypt by a swift and mighty hand and toppled your enemies before your eyes in the sea? Do we not see things like that of how God makes himself remembered in the scripture? Yes. You know what that was? Answers. He's giving you answers. This is who he is. Well, I know this is who he is. This, the, 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 I've got right here. He answered this. He answered this. He answered this. And what you all of a sudden have is a book of faithful testimony from God. I encourage you, get a book. Get a composition book, they're 88 cents. You can go that route if you don't like kitty cats and straps and things like that, that's fine. But get something and make your prayers known to the Lord. Let's move on to the next one. Everybody turn over. Ephesians chapter 1. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all these. Some of these are homework, okay? Because I know you guys love homework. You will be tested on it and share your answers next week, right? Ephesians chapter 1. Let's read the whole thing. Our main focus is going to be verses 16 through 20, even though the chapter goes to 23 and it's, and it's a, a huge sentence. Let's start in 15 here. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Stop. Did anybody just notice that the things he pointed out about the Ephesians that he'd heard is the exact same things that he heard about the Colossians? Everybody see that? Their faith and their love. They were known for having faith in the Lord and having love for one another. Does everybody see how important that is? Notice, because of that fact, it says here, Verse 16, do not cease giving thanks, there it is again, continual, for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, 
And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, those are all spiritual uh, demonic presences. It says here, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I didn't give you enough room to write that at the beginning of your handout, right? I didn't give you enough room. But let's go back and let's break down. What is Paul praying how does it flow together? What does it look like? Anybody bored? Raise your hand. Okay, just making sure. If you did raise your hand, that would be rude. All right. <clears throat> Verse 16. You do not cease giving thanks. Did we see giving thanks in the, in the prayer in, in, in uh, Colossians? Did we see that? Right? Giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Did we see that before? Different wording, but did we see it before? Absolutely we did. Does everybody get that Paul thinks that nothing is more important to pray for people than that they would know God more? Does everybody see that? What should say a lot about what our goals and ambitions are in life and how we live. Am I living in such a way as to where all I want is to know God more. That's all I want, is to know Him more. To be changed by Him. Here's the reason why. Because when I purpose to change in myself, I take two steps back. Knowing God springs the conviction through His indwelling Word that changes me because the Holy Spirit is doing the work, not me. Spiritual growth is by faith, guys, not works. It is work springing out of faith. Until the Word of God gets a hold of me, nothing different happening. What needs to be changed? My knowledge of God. In fact, this is one of the first things we brought up in one of the first foundational framework sermons. You can trace every sin back to one thing, wrong thinking about God. And you will never know anything greater than who God is and what He is like. And worship, as we saw in Exodus 15, consists of these things. Who God is and what He has done. God is the center of it all. There is no reason why we should just scratch our heads and say, you know what, I just don't know. Not after today. Because it is at the peak of Paul's heart for people. I just want them to know God. And I just want them to know Him in, a, in an amazing way. Why? Because He's an amazing God. He says here that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now watch this. I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Does your heart have eyes? It almost makes me think like instead of Mr. Potato Head, Mr. Heart, right? And you're putting little pieces on there. He's got glasses and ears and mouth. Is that what it's going at? No. Let me ask you this. When the Bible uses the word heart, and it uses the Greek word cardia, which is where we get cardiology from, but is it, is it talking about the organ in your chest? No. What does the heart talk about when it brings it up in Scripture? The inner man? The center of your being. Exactly. The inner man, yes, you are correct. The center of your being. The full seat of your emotions and decision making and why you do what you do when you do it. It's the, it's the middle of your convictions. Now notice that Paul recognizes that's where the problem is. That's where the problem lies. Notice what he says here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Who enlightens us? We come to the Scriptures, we say, God, that you would enlighten the Scriptures by what? The Spirit. The Spirit is the one who brings enlightenment to us. He says here that we'd be enlightened. Why? So that, here's the reason, there's a reason behind it. You will know what is the hope of His 
calling? What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? All this needs to be written down, man. In your own words. We were going to do like a family feud thing where we were going to have the answers and as you guessed it, they popped over. But I want you to do it in your own words. In your own words. What does it say? What do you have on your blanks there? Write them down. God, please give me a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. God, please enlighten the eyes of my heart so that I will know what the hope of your calling is. We had two suicides this week that were major in the news. Lady who designed handbags, right? What was her name, Kate? Kate Spade. And then Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain took the belt to a hotel robe and hung himself. 61 years old. Successful career. Traveled all over the world. Has a family. And USA Today wants to put out a newspaper article, Depression's on the Rise. People like Oprah have contemplated suicide. People like Holly Berry have actually attempted it. Drew Barrymore, she's attempted it. What do we need to do about this? And it's the same old stuff. We need to become more educated. We need to have more of an open conversation. But we just got to make laws. We need to start regulating this, and we got to stop doing this, and you guys can't handle that anymore. The world's answers are terrible. There is something about a knowledge of God that is universally needed. Does everybody see this? And I think this is why it's at the pinnacle of all of Paul's prayers. Can Christians get discouraged? Can they get depressed? Yeah, it doesn't take long reading David to see that. Christians can even go as far as to commit suicide. I believe with all my heart, King Saul was a, was a believer in the one true God. And yet when all despair and hope was lost, he fell on his own sword to end it. He lost all hope. I'm telling you, man, what, what, what Paul is praying here is not just flowery stuff. He wants to get at the central seat of our beings and he wants to see an amazing Holy Spirit wrought change happen. That's the only thing that is going to make any difference here. I am scared to death because I got an email from somebody saying, you know, we've had a lot of tragedies lately, so the pastors in the community of Portage need to all come together and we're going to have it on the International Day of Peace. And here are the buzzwords, so that those who are spiritual slash religious can have a means of expressing themselves too. And we just need, and I hate this word, we just need to bring more awareness to everyone. And everybody just needs a way in order to connect. So I'm going to go to this meeting. And I'm going to say, if we're not going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't want nothing to do with it. That is the hope of humanity. And we want to find every solution but that. That shouldn't surprise us. Why? Because lost people are running things and Satan is in charge of it. And if we ever needed prayer, we need it now. You want to know one of the most terrifying things that I see in the Scripture that, that Jesus prayed? Father, I do not pray for the world. Do you realize that Jesus actually said to the Father, I'm not praying for the world? In fact, let me hit you with another one that's interesting. Do you realize that there's not one prayer in all of Scripture, and we are not commanded to pray for lost people for their salvation? Did you realize that? We're never commanded to pray for the salvation of the lost. You know what we are commanded to do? Go to the lost and share the gospel with them. Not one prayer exists in Scripture. We can immediately cop out, well, I don't have to be evangelistic then. No, we're commanded to go and share the good news. But as far as praying for that person's salvation, how can they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear if there's not a preacher? And if there's not a preacher, somebody needs to go. That's us. In fact, that leads me to the last one I want to look at here. You can do the others on your own. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians. 
Second Thessalonians. Anybody want to guess where it's at? After First Thessalonians. Good. You guys get my humor? See, I'm a funny guy. <laughs> Keep telling yourself that, preacher. Second Thessalonians 3, verses 1 and 2. This is short, but man, it's important. Chapter 3, verse 1, and that is the very last blank down at the bottom of the back part of your page there if you want to write some of this down. Finally, brethren, pray for us, number one, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. Notice that. And the literal word there, if you've got a little, a little uh, number in there in your New American Standard Version that's got something over in the margin, notice that it will run that the word of God would run. Man, that's a cool image I've got, right? Notice here. And be glorified. Just as it did also with you. Notice he's writing to a church of people. Verse 2. And that too, we will be rescued from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. The facets of this prayer are real simple. Number one. Notice it's Paul asking for the believers there to intercede for him and his group. Why? Because they're missionaries. They're going place to place, planting churches, evangelizing, training up elders, setting things straight, moving on to the next place. So notice, pray for us. It's an intercessory prayer that the word of the Lord will run, that it will spread rapidly. God, I ask you please that your word would spread rapidly. We think what happened here if we all prayed that all the time, every day. You think we'd see some change? Good googly. We'd have to put in a balcony. Can you imagine a balcony in this room? And it'd be full on too. It'd be like at least half. And I could do this. Right? That'd be good. Get my crunches in for the day. That it would spread rapidly. That it would go and go and go and go and go. And notice, not just rapidly, and be what? What does the word glorified mean? That's Christianese. That's a church word. We all have like a Christianese lingo that we speak. What does it mean to be glorified? Does it mean, oh, is that what it means? Sometimes when I read that word, that's what I think. It's like people levitating and floating off and wings spread out of nowhere and pixie dust, I don't know. Glorified, what does it mean? giving glory that it would be recognized that it would be the central focus that it would be the big deal that it would be all right you can totally use that that it would be everything that it would go forward speedily that we would see some drastic insane results from this god please and light it up that's what I think of when I think glorified. Light it up. When I'm in a glorified body, it'll be completely changed. I won't sin anymore. That's some good stuff. Man. But notice the second part. Paul knows he's been whacked a few times. He's come in contact with the Jews that don't like him and Romans have gotten involved. Verse 2, that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. Some people out there don't like what you have to say. And get this, because a lot of people don't like what we have to say, oftentimes we don't say it. Is that Paul's MO? Is that how he operated? Can you imagine being chained up to Paul and you're the Roman guard that is watching him? How many times do you think you heard the gospel a day? Man, they probably whacked him like that whack-a-mole game over at Kalahari, right? No tickets on that one, but still. Good gravy. That's how Paul was. Is Paul any different from you and me? Sometimes we read Scripture, we think so, but guess what? He's not. He's a guy. He's a guy that the Lord called to serve him. 
And so he was obedient. He was an obedient guy. He was used greatly by the Holy Spirit. One of the biggest reasons why he was used greatly is because he was so submissive to what God wanted. So he needed help. Some guys out here that want to eat my lunch. Lord, protect us. Help us. Not everybody believes. And here's what's interesting. It is 10, 17. I'm going to ask something crazy of you. If you're here with a group of people, you're here as a family. Excellent. You got some people around you. Maybe you came by yourself. You need to join in with them. But here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask for the next five to seven minutes that everybody gets together and just prays together. And you have all kinds of good stuff to pray for. Things that you've written down that you know are in alignment with what God's want. See, sometimes I pray in tongues. Exactly what God wants because it comes directly out of His Word. How many people are uncomfortable right now? Why? Because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're praying. We're just talking to God. As husband and wife, if you just want to pray together, excellent. That's great. Do that. Husbands, lead your ladies in prayer. Take them before the Father. Ask these blessings on them. It's a beautiful thing. Ask for God to get involved. Ask for the Word of God to speed forward. Ask that we would have all spiritual wisdom and knowledge in the will of God so that we would be walking worthy, fully pleasing, fruit-producing people who have gained an even greater knowledge of God to where it becomes so addictive we just can't stop wanting to pursue that type of obedience. For some of you, if you want, get on your knees. I can't think of anything better than having to replace the carpet in this place because we've worn knee holes in it. We think Awana's going to take it out. I say we give Awana a run for their money and just knee hole it out. Right? How beautiful would that be? Because we're a church that prays. Because we're a church that is asking biblical things, offering up biblical prayers to the Almighty God, the only one that can do anything about it. Now here's a problem. It is 10-17, 10-18. You're tired. You've had a long week. You might need a boost. But please concentrate with this. Don't slack this off. Use the most of this opportunity. You ain't got nothing else to do. Football season doesn't start for a while. Let's use this time wisely, please.